Arnold Palmer is the Masters champion of 1960. Expect anything different? It's just not a fair fight. No, it really isn't, Roger. I mean, that is phenomenal. Oh, it's not a cut. That's a slice. And it's a good one, too. Hello and welcome all you hookers and slicers out there to another episode of the Downswing Golf Podcast presented by 4Champ. I am one of your hosts, Stay and Play Clay, and with me as always is Nick the Stick. And uh, for the first time ever, we have a third, a guest joining us, and I'm going to toss it over to Nick to introduce our very special guest, Nick. Who are we, uh, who are we talking to today? Yeah, tonight's a special night. This is our first ever interview on the Downswing Podcast. Really exciting stuff. We have a Mr. Brian Zager in the house. Uh, for those that may have not heard of him, uh, just a local uh, golfer in the central Wisconsin area, also in the golf industry, doing some really, really awesome stuff with a famous golf course architect, Tom Doak, uh, designing, helping design courses, working with some really awesome technology. Um, you know, just really going to bring a lot to um, this podcast and everything that is golf and why we love that, love it and the game and especially that in central Wisconsin. Um, known Brian for several years now. Uh, great, good player, lo- great guy. Love to love to get out with him. Um, so again, really happy to have you, Brian. Um, and if you could get give a little background on yourself uh, to our listeners, um, what, what what should they know about you? Hey, it's uh, great to be here. Um, excited to be your first interview. Um, you know, I'm just a guy who really loves golf, for starters. Aren't we and, all? Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't know why there aren't any more of us, but, you know. So I was born and raised in central Wisconsin. Also love technology at the same time. So uh, when I was a kid, I liked to play these golf games on the computers and a lot of them had these course design software in them as well so for me creating golf courses was really kind of a hobby that started when i was a kid yeah and and so you know i never really felt like i could be a a golf course architect when i was a kid for some reason it just seemed like well that's a too big of a lofty goal or whatever but kind of a funny thing happened is 15 miles out 50 miles 15 miles away from where i live in, in rapids a uh, major golf resort started called Sand Valley. I think and, I've heard uh, of that one. Yes, it's <laughs> if it was one of the most. You know, I heard rumors about it in in the fall of 2013, and you know, I I thought I, you know, I could hardly believe that that could really be you know in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, you know. And uh, so as soon as I heard about the rumors, I had to go check out the site. And uh, I also sent uh, a message to Oliphant Golf Construction because somehow I found out they were involved in it and uh, said, hey, you know, if I can help in any way, I'd really love to be a part of this. So um, didn't hear anything right away, but I went out to the site um, for three consecutive weekends because at the time I was working at the educational software company, uh, Renaissance Learning. So I really only had weekends free went out there three consecutive weekends took a whole bunch of pictures out there and uh I, there was a discussion about the the potential resort on the website golf club atlas and uh, so and there was people kind of doubting that a site could really be this good in this area and uh so i thought well i'm going to post the pictures that i took over here because the site really was pretty dramatic uh, you know 50-foot dunes, sand blowouts, and I was pretty much covered in trees at the time, so it's hard hard to really appreciate what it could be, but uh, there was definitely some places where you could really see the signs. There's some sand blowout areas, and, and you could get up on the high hills and see some of the, the views. So I posted these pictures on Golf Club Atlas, and then the ne- very next day I heard from Craig Haltham, uh, who uh, is uh, vice president at Oliphant, golf construction he said you know we could really uh, i got a little bit ahead of myself the other thing i was doing on the side at the time was making golf courses for simulators this was kind of a extension of my hobby of 
creating golf courses for games, I eventually worked my way into a simulator company and was doing those, uh, creating courses on the side for them. So I mentioned it, had mentioned to Craig, you know, I create these golf courses for simulators. If there's anything I can help you with on this project, let me know. And uh, he said, uh, you know, do you think you could make topo maps with, with the data you use to create the simulator courses? And I, I had never done that before, but I said, you know, I can uh, poke around in the software I use and see if I can figure it out. And sure enough, it, it wasn't too difficult. I mean, over time, I've gotten better and better at making topo maps. My first maps back then were a little harder for them to read. In fact, I think I heard back from Craig uh, one time they said, well, our, our, our maps don't have any numbers on it. Can you figure out how to label these? <laughs> I learned over the time how to do this process. And uh, so that was how I first got into the real golf course construction business. And uh, like I said, I always, I, you know, I kind of had a passion for technology and a passion for golf. And I always wanted to try and merge those two things together to form my career. And it took a very long time to figure out how to do that. And I was pretty lucky for this resort to start you know so close to me and and so that's how things kind of got started for me yeah yeah. i mean you kind of just i I don't want to say you know you got lucky or anything but you kind of caught lightning in the bottle absolutely right (laughs) i've gotten lucky in so many different ways you know in some ways you make your own luck right because you you do you do or let's say you take advantage of your luck you know you get a lucky break and then you go out and do the hard work to you know make that count and i feel like that's what i've done right and and you've been i mean you've been putting in that hard work basically since you were a kid yeah it, it was it was kind of a funny thing how how that worked out it was almost like i was born to do this but you'd never would have known that this was even a thing at the time Right. But you found your opportunity and jumped on it and here you are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a phenomenal story. I didn't need not even know that. Um like all that background. I think knew a little bit of like the sand alley or getting in there, but um yeah, no, I've and one of one of my favorite just I quotes and ideas is, you know, luck is just when skill meets opportunity and mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to do in life, you just got to literally go out and do it. And then, you know, eventually uh, try to keep connecting with people and, you know, putting your name out there and like you did. And that's that's phenomenal that it uh, they, they gave you some work and it's obviously progressed um, mm-hmm. very well. That's because um, you now you're doing. So you were part of the original Sand Valley design. So I was able to do the topo maps for them and then didn't really have a whole lot to do with the first course because I was still working at Renaissance Learning at the time and didn't, you know, I got to go out there and see this construction a few times along the way, but I didn't really have any more input other than providing the maps. And I did the whole maps for the entire resort at the time. So uh, when the second course was started, Mammoth Dunes, there was actually a contest that was held to uh, design one of the holes. And uh, Unfortunately, I found out I wasn't going to be allowed to enter the contest because <laughs> I was kind of part of the whole operation. Whatever Golf Digest had rules. This was a Golf Digest contest. They had rules that you couldn't, or I couldn't enter in it. But uh, Michael <laughs> Kaiser, yeah, Michael Kaiser actually gave me the opportunity to create a, a a video flyover of the land that Golf Digest put on their website, so that people who we're trying to enter this contest would have a better sense just besides the topo map of what the land looked like. So I got that and then I told one of my friends, uh, Brian Silvernail from Florida, there's a lot of Brian's in my story too, it's really weird. I don't know, everybody's named Brian for some reason. But, uh, it's a good name, you gotta, you gotta admit that. Yeah. Uh, so Brian Silvernail, he's kind of a legendary golf course designer for golf games uh he's about 15 years older than me so it was kind of he was kind of a guy i looked up to when i was making my own courses for these games as a kid and uh i eventually got to know him over the internet um through the simulator where we were both working for the same simulator company uh so i told him about this contest and i said hey if you want enter it i i, I think it'd be really Really, he wasn't the only one. I know a couple of other guys that do simulator work too, but 
I don't know if anybody else actually entered, but he actually entered the contest. And uh, like 500 people, he ended up winning. <laughs> and what are the crazy odds of that? Did, well, yeah, did you, did you help him at all? I, I, I helped him in that I sent him the topo maps and I sent him a, a digital LiDAR version, uh, not a LiDAR, but a di- uh, I, based off a of LiDAR, the, um, you know, what? 3D model of the course, of the whole, I mean, or what the existing land. What's that? What does LiDAR stand for? LiDAR is, I don't remember exactly what it stands for, but I'll explain. It's uh, basically, it works kind of like sonar, only you're shooting laser beam and you're measuring the return of, uh, it's a way to map out land. So you, you, you fly over with a plane with something that shoots out a laser beam and you get the return back from it and the timing of that based on that is how it tells what the elevation of the land is. Uh, So one of the things that I use for creating golf courses for simulators is this public LIDAR and it also, this is how I made the topo maps. Uh, This public LIDAR allows you to get a very detailed map of what the land looks like uh, right now. So, so, uh, so it I sounds like. Oh, sorry. So, oh, go ahead. No, you. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say it's. It sounds like uh, it, there's a little bit of cheating involved here. <laughs> well, got a little I, help. Sent, <laughs> I sent him the public lidar, uh, so uh, therefore <laughs> everybody else in the contest could have gotten that themselves. Sure. Technically, maybe slightly, but uh, <laughs> he just started I, I, started ahead of the curve a little what, bit, maybe. What hole is he, it out there? It's 14. It's the drivable par four that is on the side of the hill, and you kind of get the ball at Mammoth. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's a great hole. Like. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So he uh, ended up winning. They ended up flying him up here to, you know, kind of consult with Dave McClay Kid, the course architect for Mammoth Dunes, and uh, help him. A lot of there were a lot of things that were changed on the hole when he was up here from his original submission of the contest. So he likes to say it's like 50% his design, 50% kids design, but uh, it was still really really cool experience because then I actually got to meet him in person too. Guy I've known of since I was a kid and known through the <laughs> internet for about 10 years, and then now I got to meet him. So it was a really uh, awesome experience for me that was my main uh contribution and then to the second course map dunes was you know helping out with this contest and then when brian was up here i got to meet david mcclay kid go around we talked about some of the holes and stuff like that so so that was my second getting my second foot wet into the golf architecture business i guess you would say dipping my toes in and so all that brought you then to the Lido, right? Oh yeah, now we come to the Lido. And <laughs> yeah. this is a pretty crazy story too because, you know, I had knew known about the Lido. The Lido, for those who don't know, is a golf course that was on Long Island. It was built in 19 uh construction had started in 1914 and opened in 1918. And in the 20s it was known as like a top 5 course in the world, one of the best in the world. And uh by the 30s, they had fallen on hard times because of the Great Depression, and in 1941-ish, something like that, it closed because of World War II, and the military took over the property and used it for housing soldiers or something like that. After that, it never reopened. It ended up getting developed as a neighborhood, and a school is on that property now, so there's nothing left of the course. And it's been kind of a legendary lost course that everybody wishes they could have played or wonders what it would have been like to play uh so let's see here when was it 20 it was in 2020 summer of 2020 i get a phone call from craig haltum and he says yeah uh there's this guy that built a model of the lido in the in a computer game and we would really like to get the mapping out of this because you know the kaisers are interested in recreating the Lido at Sand Valley. And this is like completely out of left field to me. It's like, <laughs> you know, I never would have even imagined that, you know, cause it's really not their, their brand to re- recreate golf courses. They, 
They have a certain style. They build these resort courses. They're great. Everybody loves them. But yeah, I was uh, going to say just for those that don't know, I mean, we're we're aware here, but um, the Sand Valley was done by the creators of Bandon Dunes. So I mean, these are guys right, yep. that are just upper echelon of creating resort courses. Um, yeah, Mike Kaiser, um, the big mm-hmm. the big guy. Yeah, so having this in central Wisconsin is just a blessing. I mean, uh, we highly recommend it, um, but I just, for those that are listening that uh, aren't aware of that, so then, you know, when they say something, you know, thing, things happen, and, you know, they're making serious moves, and then, but, yeah, this Lido is this next evolution of excitement. Yeah, like, so they're expanding, you know, and, and then trying to recreate. So yeah, where do, where do you fall into the recreation then? Well, normally I, I'm not I'm not a, not big on recreated holes of golf holes that already exist elsewhere in the world, but this is something that doesn't exist anymore. So I think it's it's a really exciting project to be a part of, and we're trying to do our best to bring something back to life that you can't play anymore. So yeah, Craig asked me, uh, you know, can you turn this model that this guy Peter Flory from Chicago? He must have. He spent like years. I don't know how many years uh, researching the Lido, finding old pictures, uh, and just finding all kinds of information. He would post his progress of building this course in this game on Golf Club Atlas, and he would get more feedback from other people on there and more pictures and so he became kind of the guy that knew the most about this course and he built this detailed model of the the course in in this game so kaiser uh was really interested in this and they had actually thought about i didn't know this at the time but they had thought about trying to build the lead out at bandon but the land was it was too nice for just blowing up and trying to recreate something that wasn't there they they ultimately decided to build a, a tribute to cb mcdonald who was the course architect of the lido uh and that's the old mcdonald course at uh, bandon the kaisers kind of i guess never really get completely gave up on that idea of recreating the lido and here they had a piece you know we have this fantastic land where sand valley is but it's kind of surrounded by some land that's also flat so just across the road from the entrance to Sand Valley is a perfect size piece of land between the roads to fit the Lido in where the land was almost flat already. And the original Lido course was on Long Island right on the ocean, between the ocean and the channel. Uh, so there was actually water on both sides of the course, which we won't be recreating, but we are putting <laughs> some water in. We won't have an ocean, unfortunately. Although, <laughs> if you listen behind the dunes, you might hear the waves coming in. No, actually, it's just the cars driving by, but <laughs> kind of sounds like it. <laughs> well, that's—I mean—that's another big thing with the the Lido um, being, you know, on Long Island is because of the ocean. You get a lot of, you know, you got a lot of winds that you dealt with. And yes. that's kind of a a big part of the recreation and, of a course you know whether it's Toledo or any course you know and, and because of cutting all the trees down this was on a pine plantation again just like the original courses were once you remove all those trees that wind flows through there real easy and you get a lot of wind out there let me tell you yeah yeah when i went when i went to sand valley last year it was uh, it was super windy <laughs> it was so windy especially early in the season uh, we, I mean, we experience that here in the Midwest. You know, springtime is wind time, basically. But yeah, yeah oh, it, wind has been terrible for us out there right now. <laughs> Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we've been uh, trying to shape some stuff out there, and then oh yeah, and with, later, with all the uh, with all the sand away. too. Yeah, yeah, the sand is blown away. The features are blown away, and now we gotta go oh. back and shape it again we'll get we'll get to that a little bit later but uh so craig had asked me if i could turn this model of his of peter flores into a into a topo map and i had never designed for this game pga 2k21 is the game that peter was using Uh, i had never designed courses for this game so i knew a little bit about it because i had played the game but i had never tried to design courses for it so i kind of poked around there and there was this guy that had made a third party piece of software that allowed people to import lidar into the game and make you know try and make better recreations of real courses so 
he this guy kind of knew a little bit about the workings of the file formats and stuff. And I reached out to him and uh, got a, a little bit of help from him, although he was pretty busy, so he didn't really help me a ton. And I just kind of poked around in there, and uh, you know, most of the games or simulator software I had worked with in the past, you would have just exported the 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 terrain grid or mesh out of the file and you would have been able to bring it into the software I use which is Global Mapper and you could you know instantly create a topo out of that like it was regular lidar from the real world but unfortunately this game it really wasn't that easy and I kind of only half took it seriously at the time because I thought well this is this seems like a long shot I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this so I, I, I kind of poked around with it a little bit here and there, and then I, I eventually I came up with this alternate idea that I, instead of trying to, you know, just do the low-level, whatever you want to call it, hacking, whatever, of trying to uh, get the mesh out, yeah, you know, I used something that was kind of even more of a hack, which was just to, you know, write a little script that would take advantage of the the measuring tool in the game. What that does, there's a measuring tool in the game that allows you to you know record a single point you know like a spot elevation in within within the course and i just wrote a script to have it create millions of points inside the file and then export those you know xyz coordinates out of there bring them into global mapper turn treat it as if it was lidar and then turn it into a topo map i i absolutely love that (laughs) (laughs) she's like so um like I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I've played the game. I played the old version of that same game when it was originally released called The Golf Club. And yep. it slowly morphed into, you know, getting a got a, a sponsorship with or a bought out by 2K or whatever and became yep. PGA. And I've played around like especially in the early games, I played around with the design, the course designer and everything and and using the measuring tool and laying stuff down. I'm not a good designer at all. I've released mm-hmm. like maybe two or three courses they weren't good but um <laughs> but i know exactly what you're talking about and to hear and like i have no idea like how it works under the hood like the actual files and everything mm-hmm. but um to hear that you know it wasn't you know as easy as as you know other like other golf simulator software or programs yep. or you know data and so to find a workaround uh basically just creating a grid of these points uh that's awesome honestly i I love hearing that (laughs) yeah i can be pretty resourceful i come up with ideas that you know just might work and then when they do that's a real real thrill let me tell you so basically i mean i mean basically you because of that you found the lost city of atlantis right as a golf course (laughs) peter did all the work of you know figuring out how it was gonna look and i was able to turn that into something that Tom Doug could use because he's used to using topo maps, not 3D yeah. digital models in the computer. Sure, yeah. So then I knew a little bit that you were working, so then you, you use those, what you just created, to uh, in, use a, like a, a geo bulldozer you were talking about? Sure, so let's uh, start. Oh, I'm sorry. I just say, it, I can just introduce us into that yeah. in the winter or i think uh december or something like that of that year craig had asked me if i could go out there and use gps so i'd created this topo map could i use gps out there to flag contour lines so that the bulldozer operator would know what we need to build and uh we kind of did that we did we actually had a really great winter for work and it was we only got like one or two inches of snow here and there and it never really affected construction but we were doing we were kind of shooting around in the dark the way we were doing it because i would flag these lines and then you know this part of it looked yeah that looks sort of like what it's supposed to and then over here this part was like no that definitely needs work we better go over those lines again and so you know we were getting somewhere but we were not getting where we needed to get to so uh, i think it was like the coldest day in february of 2021 it was like a 10 degree high that day or something this uh old guy uh like 70 or 80 year old guy comes out just random guy drives out his truck out there yeah i think he's just curious what's going on and 
turns out he owns a, a company that rents out construction equipment. So he comes up to me and the bulldozer driver and he says, you know, you guys could do a lot better if you were uh, using GPS dozers to do this instead of flagging everything. And we were like... Yeah. And we, we kind of <laughs> knew a little bit about this because there was one other bulldozer operator out there that knew a little bit about this. And he, was, he wasn't he was getting much success to get Craig to get it. But I guess this uh, this guy kind of pushed things over the top. Uh, I, I texted Craig about it. And uh, that was the day that really changed everything because we got a GPS bulldozer. And these things have existed for a long time. It's not really a new technology. You know, they, okay. they build roads and stuff like that with these, but it's never really been tried for a golf course before. We didn't know, you know, how accurate it was going to be. You know, it was kind of a big dozer. You usually want something a little smaller to shape smaller features. So last week in February, then we got, uh, we ended up renting from a different company from this guy that had met met up with us out there i don't know if he was too expensive or what the deal was i between the time i texted craig and then then two weeks later when we got the demo dozer out there i didn't hear anything about it so so i don't know what happened between then and then but we got a demo of the dozer out there and it turned out that uh it could shape things really really accurately uh even funny contours and you know minute green green contours there's a little bit more technical story in there in that uh we uh started out with the one foot topo map that uh, i had created and it had been manipulated a little bit because uh we actually separated the holes some some of the holes would be a little bit too dangerous to build the way they were built back then so we started out with this one foot topo plan in the dozer and it was very good for building fairways and you know rough not so good for the greens because one foot is a huge amount of elevation change on a green and i went through all the work to try and figure out you know i tried to get a little help from the company that was renting us the dozer but they weren't a whole lot of help they were more construction people and not software people i think and i basically had to kind of play around with the the software on the on the on the so they gave me what they call a a gps rover and that's just uh, an antenna and a computer that you walk around with and tells you elevations and how much fill or cut you got to do i played around with the software in this for that and figured out that you know it could take point data uh i had this point data that i had created from peter's model like i explained earlier uh with all these spot elevations and they were well they were accurate to exactly whatever decimal point that pga2k goes out to with its uh, accuracy for elevations versus using a one foot topo where you're like terracing at every foot that's no good for making greens and you know craig Altum was and and others were skeptical about whether this dozer would even be able to do greens because it's a big dozer and they don't normally create greens with something that size. I was persistent in trying it out because I felt like this was a this was really a big deal for me because if you could do it this way, then I could see a path where I could be a golf course architect <laughs> where I could build a course in a computer have a gps dozer build it and it would be really cool and i didn't necessarily think i was going to be a golf course architect then i just knew i wanted to find out if it was possible so i went through all the work of trying to figure out in the software how you get these the point data into it and and create your your what they call surface from that instead of the topo map and eventually through trial and error i figured out how to do that got that loaded into the dozer and uh, we uh, we started doing a few greens with it and they came out really good i mean like very very close to what peter's greens looked like in the computer and uh, that was a really really cool moment out there is there a reason without i mean that they don't you can't just put a geolocation in a smaller dozer that they have to use these big ones no I don't think there's a reason. I and to be honest, I have not even researched. They may very well put them in smaller dozers. Oh, you but you tried the big one and it worked. It worked in the big one. I, you know, I think the general application for them right now is you know stuff like building roads or building flat pads for building houses on, and uh, 
generally you want a bigger dozer for that, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it, I have not researched it at all. Uh, hopefully we can get it on a smaller dozer because that would be really cool. The one thing we really can't quite do well with a dozer yet is bunkers, especially small ones. I mean, you can get a little bit of the shape of the bunker, but generally we got to have an excavator out there to give the bunkers the sharp edge that you would expect them to have. So, I, like, the Lido obviously is a unique, you know, project in the terms of its recreating an old course, uh, old well-known course. Being able to use, like, GPS dozers on something like that is, is you know, once you start using it, it's like, yeah, this makes complete sense, right? But what about, I guess, what about future courses? You know, I know Sand Valley's got another course that they're they're building as well. Um mm-hmm. Are you part of Sedge Valley? I'll be doing some work for them over there, yeah. And we do plan to use the GPS dozer a little bit, not nearly as much as we are on the Lido, because there's a lot of natural landforms there that we don't want to mess with. We're not creating everything from scratch over there. Sure. It's definitely, I think, a future way of building golf courses. I don't think the old way is going to go away. I think it's another way that you could build a golf course sure yeah and there's i mean each architect has their own way of doing things essentially mm-hmm. you know pete die is very different than or was very different than yep pete die would not <laughs> pete die would not draw plans at all if right. he could help sometimes people made him draw plans and usually whatever he drew was not what was made <laughs> i learned that a few times uh <laughs> talking to tom duck because tom learned under pete die so he has a lot of good pete die stories nice but uh i mean so the ne- next step in my evolution out there was we were uh, finding a lot of areas that we thought peter didn't quite have things right one of the things we were really lucky on is there's a 1926 aerial photo that shows it, it's black and white but it has lighter areas and darker areas and we figured the lighter areas were kind of dried up burnt out areas and therefore were high and when and then the darker areas the water would settle those were the low areas and it's very clear because we have this plasticine model that was made back then too we don't have the model but we have a picture of the model and it matches in places where these light and dark areas on the aerial match so it's pretty clear that that is what's going on there so the next thing i did for them was since pga2k21 doesn't allow peter to line up a aerial exactly in its game like some of the other software i've used does he so he was kind of eyeballing features he did an incredible job considering he was eyeballing some of that stuff but uh i lined up each hole so i had kind of had to cut this aerial up into 18 not quite 18 pieces because we spread out the distance between the holes in places because we felt it was too dangerous and it also added us to allow some back tees that give the course a little bit extra length for modern players nowadays you could technology you almost have to build it a little bigger you're going to be able to play every hole from the original lido tee if you want to but we also have the space, thanks to spacing out some of the holes, to add some, some back tees. So I lined up all 18 holes with the holes we were building out there and traced out these high and low areas. And we would find, well, Peter was a little bit off here, or this bunker is slightly off, you know, three yards further that way or whatever, or six yards to to the side or this feature with this spine running through the fairway went in this direction and he had it a little bit different so we we made some edits and in the beginning um this was me tracing out these spots flagging them and then brian schneider or brian slonick who are both shapers and golf architects associates of tom doak they would go out and uh put these features into place where i flagged them that was a fun experience and then i was able to they were not able to kind of keep up with what we were doing so when you're putting irrigation in out there once you have the irrigation in place if you try to make an edit like that you're going to hit lines and then you're going to have to tear it out and you're going to have to so they weren't able to keep up with the with all the changes they did 
with the the irrigation guys. So I got the idea, hey, I could make these edits that we know we want to make after talking with Brian Schneider, you know, what what should we do? What what do I see? What does he see? And I got the opportunity on the first fairway, which was probably about the ninth or tenth hole we worked on. We worked from from north to south on the on the golf course, so we didn't we don't work in like order of the holes. Yeah. Uh, so the first fairway, we actually saw quite a few differences from what Peter had modeled. So I pulled Peter's model into an old, older Golf Architect software that I was more familiar with because I didn't want to design in PGA2K21. Yeah. I wouldn't have known what I was doing in there. Yeah, it's a, it's got a little bit of a, a learning curve. It, it seems to be yeah. <laughs> designed for controller use rather than mouse and keyboard, which would, yeah. was driving me nuts when I tried to play around with it a little bit. Uh, so so I pulled Peter's model into a different Golf Architect software, made these edits to the model, put it back in the GPS dozer. The GPS dozer went out and reshaped that hull, and uh, it was the coolest thing for me to w- go out there and walk on the fairway that I had shaped in the computer and see it in real life instead of through a computer screen and wow. and it looked exactly like what I modeled and it was so cool and Brian Schneider really liked what I had done so that was a really awesome moment for me as well out there. I mean that's that's virtual reality right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is so cool. And then so I mean I don't know. Uh, the Lido opens this year. I mean, you, how much more? There'll are pre- you- yeah, there'll be preview play this year on some of the holes that we grasped last year. Probably about nine holes, I'm guessing, somewhere in that area anyways. We actually grasped 13 holes, but a few of them were late enough in the season that we need to let them grow in a little more this year before they see any play. It's not like we've so- had a great spring either. No, we had a great fall, and we actually seeded about a month later than we thought we were going to. Yeah, fall, yeah. fall, and winter were were pretty mm-hmm. pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, spring, spring has kind of taken a step back though. But right, I know I was freezing out there today. <laughs> we were putting, we were putting in, uh, we were uh, mapping out where the irrigation was going to go on the remaining four holes that don't have irrigation yet and it was it was a cold one out there yesterday was even worse really yeah. today at least it wasn't quite so windy a little more sun today and you probably you probably didn't even get to i don't know if you guys work on the weekends but those were like the only good days <laughs> weather-wise yeah well, well the construction crew works monday through saturday okay. and i work uh when they need me it's not Right now, it's not every day out there. For for a long time last year, it was every day. You you're not out there as much as you need to be because it's you've, you've done the the prep work and what you need to there. But I mean, all this right. And based on the first hole, what I did with the first hole last year, and I actually got to do that again with the sixth hole yet last year. Based on that work, Brian Schneider asked me if I wanted to model the changes to the remaining four holes that we had left so i actually did a lot of work on the computer here just a month or so ago getting ready for that and then a lot of a lot of this has led you to your latest project or your your internship uh with the tom doe group how's that going and you know with tom yeah so yeah in october I uh, I got an email from Tom asking me if I'd do an internship with him for the winter, and that was that was a dream come true. Let me tell you. I mean, it's it's like, do I want to? Uh, that's yes. I don't don't know, Tom. I don't know, Tom. I'm gonna need to take some time to think about it. Okay, I'm ready. Yes, something like that. Yes. So, so I got to uh, the last week in October. I moved out to Traverse City, and I got to live in the uh, room above his office. Uh, he's got a little room with a bed up there, kind of a very tiny apartment, I guess you would say, and uh, got full access to his office. And we really weren't in Traverse City that often, though, because it's pretty cold in Traverse City in the winter, obviously, and there's not much golf work going on around there, but we uh, visited uh, several places in the southeastern U.S., Florida, Texas, uh, South Carolina, and we were, we were really a lot of times visiting projects that Tom was thinking about whether he wanted to take or not, 
and I was doing a bunch of mapping for him of all these different sites and I just got to uh, pick his brain and get a get an idea of what it's like to be a golf architect to be one of the best golf architects in the world it was uh, you know, another incredible experience obviously so what was going on in that brain and like does this I mean, so you're all in. Like, I mean, this is, I mean, you've created, you know, what looks to be a, like a great career going forward. And, you know, with the technology, you know, your passion for golf, I mean, you're you're going to be, you know, designing some pretty awesome courses in the future, right? Yeah, well, Tom has been huge for me. I mean, Craig was huge for me. Craig Halton was huge for me, getting me started in this. And now Tom has allowed me, you know, to meet a lot of different people that I never would have met if I had gotten this chance and, you know, kind of network with a lot of people, meet some other golf architects, meet a bunch of his friends. He has a, he has an event every year called the Renaissance cup. His golf course design company is called Renaissance golf design. And, uh, so I got to play in the Renaissance Cup and meet a bunch of his friends. He has it at a different course that he designed every year. And uh, he had it at Memorial Park in Houston last year, which is a course he renovated for the PGA Tours Houston Open. And we were actually there for the tournament last, I guess it was November. Then the two days following the tournament, we got to play the course. So that was that was pretty awesome. So yeah, just meeting a whole bunch of people and getting an idea of how Tom thinks about things and anything I can ask Tom anything and I get his honest opinion about it, you know, and he's, he's very uh, forthright and it it's a really helpful, you know, to get an idea of what it's like and what I need to learn if I want to really get into this business. And right now, you know, I, I couldn't go out on my own right now, but having the opportunity to work for Tom and potentially do a bunch of different projects. Uh, you mentioned there's another course at Sand Valley being built, an original Tom Doak design, and I'll get to help out with him there. And he's, uh, he's you know, he's got a grading plan where we're going to try and use the GPS dozer to do a few things in some of the areas of the course where it's a little more boring what the natural terrain is. So we're going to change things a little bit on three or four holes and we're gonna we're gonna actually try to not recreate but you know create a hole that's inspired by one of the holes he's designed on a on a different one of his golf courses in the past and i'll let let the uh listener when they visit sedge valley try to figure out which hole that is at sedge and which hole it is on a different course of his see if they can figure that out for themselves that's a good teaser that's a great one i'm gonna (laughs) yep I'm going to try to figure that one out. So I do want to get on Sedge Valley events eventually. Yeah, that's opening yep. in 2024, I think I saw. Yes. Or planned to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. You're starting it this year. I mean, you're. you're yeah, you're we're. we're so out. right now, Tom is kind of bouncing between the two when he's here. So he's at the Lido, he's at Sedge, and we're, we're kind of finishing Lido and starting Sedge at the same time right now. And then once Lido will probably be finished by mid to end of June. And, you know, it'll just be growing time yet, but uh, shaping wise, it'll be finished. And uh, and then we'll be all in on Sedge after that. And, uh, and then there's uh, at least one other project that Tom has going that I will probably get to be heavily involved in. So that's pretty exciting. Here. Yeah. Not here. It'll be, uh, it'll be uh, in the so- southeastern U.S. Well, uh, I think that's the, <laughs> the closest. I, I don't want to give anything away, so I can't. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. So uh, Augusta National is re- re- remodeling. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I wish. I wish Tom was on that project too. But unfortunately, he is not the consultant at Augusta National. Well, yeah. I mean, every everybody needs a, a mentor. I mean, Tom Doak had Pete Dye. You have Tom Doak. I mean, yep. I mean, people keep uh, keep Brian's name in the back of your mind. He'll yes, uh, he'll be he'll be the next next big thing before you know it i hope you're right that'd be really cool <laughs> yeah yeah i know just yeah everybody you know has to learn learn along the way and you know kind of build a career i mean i mean before i mean these are big projects lots of money involved and you know they want the you know having the name association i mean it didn't hurt tom to have you know oh i mentored under Pete die and you know, eventually right. he went off on his own and stuff. I was going to ask you, like, what uh, question? What's the biggest one or 
something that stands out that you've learned, you know, in, you know, the last few years? I mean, whether it's, you know, whether it's from Tom or like kind of maybe something that you didn't, you didn't realize right away or, you know, that you really. Yeah. It's a tough question. There's a lot of things probably. Yeah. Uh, trying to bring one of them up to my mind, you put me on the spot. But I, I kind of knew this already. It's kind of more general. And I don't know if you were thinking golf specific or not, but just being persistent in what really you love to do and what interests you, even if you don't think that it's a career now or you know or even if you don't think it's ever a career maybe if you just keep pushing at it and doing what you love and you know i was lucky i mean there's no doubt about it i was lucky but you know you you will if you have a passion for something you will get noticed i i just think it's really important that everybody should should go after what they what they think what they love doing you know the world would be a, a lot better place if everybody was doing something they loved i think i mean obviously there's certain jobs that have to be done i understand that but you know as you're as you're working towards your ultimate future always keep that in mind push hard and i guess that's the biggest thing for me you know that i've learned over my time in all this this series of crazy events that have happened to me yeah that's a great one brian the uh the philosopher golf designer <laughs> yes well you know there's a lot of there's a lot of thinking involved in great golf architecture oh for sure absolutely you have to be kind of kind of have to be that kind of mentality i think yeah, no, you got to be very resilient. And just it was incredible to hear, you know, like all those different things with the software, like how you could think outside the box and you would run into a problem and, you know, just create your own solutions. I mean, even if they weren't out there, I mean, just you're you're hacking things, you're you're going going around traditional concepts and software just to get what you need to done and even at one point you said you know you had to like you know stick stick to your guns and really advocate for like what you believed in and i Mm -hmm. i really appreciate that yeah i've always been kind of a problem solver i like to think of myself as a problem solver and my uh, education my degree is in web and digital media so it's sort of related but sort of not related i mean it did help me with with uh you know i kind of knew what what i was doing with golf courses uh design and computer games and stuff like that for a long time even before that but we always had to kind of think a little bit outside the box to get the software the golf architecture software that in those games to do what we wanted them to do i was always kind of a little bit I thought, you know, innovative in that space, even when I was younger, uh, coming up with ways to recreate courses better, like using programs that allowed you to make transparency uh, of, a, of an image laid over the top of the architecture program so that you could trace out your fairways and stuff like that. I was always looking for, you know, crazy backdoor solutions like that, rather than being able to develop the software myself, which is, I don't know, I think it's it's good to have that sort of hacking spirit of figuring out how to do things for yourself. Does it change the way you play golf courses now when you go to someplace, like, you know, any given public course randomly, and you're like, well, it would look a lot better if they did this or, you know, with if we just changed these few holes, it would really open things up. Do, do you think about that, like, more now? Yeah, you know, I've, I've actually kind of really thought about that for as long as I can remember playing <laughs> golf. I just think about it in maybe a little bit more intelligent way than I used to because, you know, you, know, you don't know everything about golf architecture, but I kind of learned some stuff back in the early days. You know, like my college days, there was, there was a couple guys that would create uh, – there was actually a contest on this game uh just a contest that the community had created nothing to do with the original software creators and these guys that were running were really uh interested in golf architecture and what was really cool about this is you could submit a design to this contest and other people would kind of give you their feedback on it and you'd learn a lot about golf architecture that way so that was a, a really cool experience for me that's how i really got interested in golf architecture you didn't win the contest though no i don't think i don't remember if i ever won a hole and so so the way this contest would work is somebody create a routing for the whole course and then every two weeks we would take one hole and 
Everybody would submit their design for it, and then we'd talk about it and vote on it, and the winner would be that hole in that course, and then they'd move on to the next hole, and it, eventually you'd have an 18-hole course for the game at the end. I, I don't think I ever want, you know, I was just learning about golf architecture back then. This is when I was like 20, 20 or something, and uh, 21 probably. It was a, a great way, you know, I was always kind of fascinated with golf course design, obviously, because I was doing it all the way back to when I was like 12 or something. But uh, this was where I really got educated on golf course design, I guess, let's say. <laughs> learned about the template holes back then. I learned about angles and setting up diagonals and contouring and all that. So uh, that was a pretty cool time for me, too. Awesome. I think this is just a, uh, this has been a huge use case or example of why parents shouldn't keep kids from gaming. (laughs) (laughs) Gaming can lead you to great things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Turns out. (laughs) Turns out you can be the next great course architect. Um, Yeah, this has been, this has been awesome, Brian. Uh, Thank you so much. I, I connected with a lot of the things you said, just kind of being a gamer of doing that stuff and, and being a golfer as well, you know, and, and the fact that this is all happening and, you know, in Wisconsin here so close to us and, and Mm -hmm. uh, just getting that inside experience into something that is, you know, not really seen, you know, by a lot of golfers or, or not known. Um, the behind-the-scenes stuff is is always cool in in my book. I'm kind of amazed, you know. I I, I guess maybe it's just because this is the first time that this has really been done at the Lido, and maybe it'll increase the exposure of it to other guys who create courses and games and simulators. I'm I'm definitely not the only person that could do this. If somebody got the right break, got their name out there, because there's a lot of really great golf course designers in these games. Oh, yeah. I've I've seen a lot of them. (laughs) They're ridiculous. I know. I hope there's a future for others in this, too, I guess is what I'm saying. Future of of golf course architect. It's a new wave. (laughs) Led by Brian. And, you know... (laughs) Thankfully, the Lido and, you know, a couple of these courses, Sedge Valley, are all public. So, you know, we're going to have to go on a field trip here later this year and do a follow-up podcast after we get a chance to uh, go out and play these. Lido actually is going to be private, uh, only semi-private, though, because uh, they're going to allow resort guests to play on certain days of the week. Uh, I think I did hear that I remember the semi-private, so I figured at least there'd be a chance that I could get out there. Um, yeah. No, we'll just have to stay there. Yeah. Done it before. No big deal. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. No, I can't wait to. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you, Brian. You know, the other thing I forgot to mention about the Lido is it was just kind of an amazing thing to fall into my lap because I had been recreating courses for simulators because the simulator companies generally want to recreate the famous courses. That's what they'll pay for. They don't want. They don't yeah. really care about your your design that you did in the computer. So I've been recreating courses for quite some time, and this was like recreating a course in the real world. <laughs> And it was like a perfect fit for my skills. So, right the place, right there. Virtual reality. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks again, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah. You bet. Good to be on your podcast and appreciate yeah. the opportunity, to, another opportunity to get my story out. Hopefully, maybe inspire some other people. I think you did. You inspired me. We know. I know I'm that inspired. Much. I'm very inspired right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll sign off and leave everyone with peace, love, and birdies. Arnold Palmer is the Masters champion of 1960. Expect anything different? It's just not a fair fight. No, it really isn't, Roger Howard. I mean, that is phenomenal. Oh, it's not a cut. That's a slice. And it's a good one, too. Yes, sir!